Hey, Transform Podcast listeners, we weren't able to record a new episode this week. So instead, we asked our community what one of their favorite sermons was, and this is what they selected. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So we're, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I think what we're, the, the pastors, I believe, were led by the Holy Spirit to choose this book at this particular time, uh, because we are uh, kind of returning to a new normal, right? Kind of. Um, however, with that said, what things are worth returning to? That is the question that we're asking in this summer series. So we want to go back to normal, but I think the book of Ecclesiastes is challenging us to say, go back to a renewed normal. You know, take the, the truth of God's word over the last 12 months of your life. Take away the truth and the meaning and the, the, the purpose for your life that, that God has through his word. But let's, let's not just return to everything that we were doing before, like nothing just happened. And so in chapter 1, we covered re- renewing with faith. Okay, so without the gift of faith... We have nothing else. Okay, we don't have a perspective for a lot of things in our life, but rather we need the spiritual sense of faith. And apart from an understanding of our Creator, then we've got nothing. Uh, And then also in chapter two, what we looked at is renewing with an understanding of pleasure in its rightful place and God in His rightful place. That if we're looking for temporary things to fulfill us, to satisfy our souls, we will end up empty-handed and unfulfilled. But rather, when we understand that those temporary pleasures are meant to point you to an eternal God, then you know what the purpose of all of that is. And so Solomon's like, you got to keep that part of your life in the right place and keep God in his central place. Um, And then last Sunday, we looked at the long game. Okay, so the long game. What are those things that are going to translate to eternity? What are those things that at the end of your life truly are going to matter? Let's focus on those things. And one big takeaway that I remember is the gift of God's love through Jesus Christ. That he gives us love. He gives us eternal love. And his love ultimately will last forever, like nothing else will. Uh, We we transition to 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where it said, Faith, hope, and love, these three remain. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because in heaven you won't need faith and hope anymore, but love will last forever. All right. So we're, we're renewing. We're renewing our minds. Scripture is always meant for that renewal. It renews our perspective. It renews our thoughts. It renews our decisions, our outlook on life. Now, what on earth did Ecclesiastes chapter 3, what does that passage mean? Okay, that's what we're going to dive into next. You, you heard it twice. Um, what on earth is that passage doing in this book? And I believe that author Matt Chandler in 2006 made a great contribution on this. And he says that there are lenses that you must read this passage with. There are biblical lenses that God wants you to look at this passage in order to understand what it's saying and what it's not. Matt Chandler cites 
Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. This is by King David, who is Solomon's dad. We believe Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes, which is written about a thousand years approximately before Christ, as well as this psalm as well. So this is an, these are ancient texts with eternal, timeless truths. Uh, King David says this, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now check this part out. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. What he is saying is, all the days of your life on this earth have been written. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Okay, so he not only cites this passage, but then he also cites Acts 17, verses 24 to 26, where Paul has his famous sermon to the people on what's known as Mars Hill in Greece. Uh, rather, Paul says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, so he's highlighting creator God, okay? Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. So he's talking to people that had kind of a different understanding of religion. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, he's referring to Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth Check this out. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So what is this passage saying? What he is saying is this. God has determined that you would be living in the Denver region right now at this time. That he is sovereign and he is in authority even over that part of your life. So taking those two uh, passages together, then we'll go back to Ecclesiastes 3. And I just want to ask this question. Is Solomon giving us choices or is he giving us divinely ordained seasons of life? What is Solomon saying here to us? Now, if they were choices, I think I'd rather be born, right? Like, I'm just going to go with that. I'd rather be born. None of you is like, oh, I, you know, uh, most of you, I don't think, are wanting to die. Um, I would rather plant, you know. Gardening sounds, you know, that's nice. Planting, not plucking up. Um, okay, I'd rather heal, not kill, right? Okay, so some commentators believe kill in this passage is talking about uh, God in his uh, consequent will against evil does talk about what's called the sword. This is uh, capital punishment against evil, okay? Also, some commentators just believe it's talking about hunting. Um, but, rather, but regardless, I, I would choose heal. Um, and if you disagree with capital punishment, you come back another Sunday. We'll probably debate that. It will come up in the Bible somewhere. Um, I would rather build up, not break down. I would rather laugh, not weep. It's good for the heart, right? 
Um, I would rather dance, not mourn. That's like my favorite thing at a wedding, okay? Love weddings for that reason. Um, in the movie Footloose, he actually quotes this, uh, but who cares? Um, a time to gather, not cast away. Biblically, in the context of Ecclesiastes, one scholar believes it's actually talking about gathering money, okay? Collecting money. I would rather do that. Um, I would, okay, so I'd rather embrace, hopefully, in the context of embracing something good. I would rather seek, not lose. I'd rather keep, not cast away. I would rather sow, not tear. You could probably guess on this one. Uh, I'd rather speak. Um, I would rather love, not hate, okay? Scripture teaches that we must hate evil and hate sin. That's why that's there. So there is a context for hate in this life. We should hate sin. We should hate evil. It shouldn't be something we love or that we allow to accumulate in our lives. I would choose peace, and I think you would too, rather than war. In Scripture, War is a last resort to eradicate evil. Okay, that's what it's a last resort. Okay. Now, um, you can, if you disagree, you can come back for that. I'm sure the Bible will cover that sometime. Um, all right. So are these choices or are they divinely ordained seasons? Um, the lenses by which we've looked at this passage would tell us that they are divinely ordained seasons. Like, I, I know that there's a, a, a friend of mine's like, you know, I, I don't want to die. And she's getting older in age. You know, I, she loves her family. But I just said, you know, enjoy each day and then know and do what you can to be healthy. But your time is to go to the Lord is out of your hands. It's out of our hands, right? Now, we can't just look at parallel passages, however, for an appropriate biblical interpretation. So look at Ecclesiastes verse 14 with me. I perceive that whatever God does, that's what it says in the context. They omitted that part from the song, right? <laughs> I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. Okay. So, what I would tell you in this passage of Scripture that we just read and that we're wrestling with uh, this morning is you have this biblical tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Divine sovereignty simply means that God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. He is in authority over his creation. It's all within his hands. It's all within his control. Okay, but then on the other hand, there is what's called human responsibility. That is, you make choices. Every day you make choices, and we're all responsible and accountable for those choices. Scripture does not resolve this paradox. 
but it does uphold both truths in your life and in our lives. Now, what I would tell you, though, Scripture also will tell us God is not the author of evil. Okay, so um, we were tempted. We chose evil. We chose rebellion. That caused uh, sin to enter into the world. And so this world is fallen out of harmony with its creator. God is not the author of evil, but rather we are tempted by our own sinful nature or we are tempted by Satan and darkness himself. Okay, so God is not the author of evil. However, he is sovereign over everything in his creation. And so let's come down to earth and give a few examples here. Um, so in, when I was 18, 19 years old, um, I was in a season of kind of rebellion against God, uh, not finding identity uh, in anything, kind of lost, uh, not finding meaningful community, not finding meaningful purpose. And so uh, what I was doing instead was uh, turning to drinking um, in order to satisfy my soul. And so that's what I was doing. And then also, at 18, 19 years old, I had a way to get into this nightclub, too. So I had a way to get in. I had a connection. So, yes, your pastor was very mischievous, into mischief. Um, so in this season of my life, there was, a, there was one night where I was drinking and driving. And so I get pulled over. And I'm drinking and driving, and I'm so happy that that police officer did not let me go. I'm so happy that that police officer uh, cited me for a DUI, and also I had to, he was a really good cop. He made me really think about it. He put me in jail for one night. Okay, now, we can wrap our minds around things like that, right? Because I chose some things there. I'm responsible, I'm accountable for that dark season of my life. So our minds can kind of understand that. But what about those seasons that are not caused by your free choices? What about those seasons that are not caused by your free will and you're just like, like why did that happen? So uh, my daughter Layla is 12, uh, my son Abraham is now 7, and, and so there's a, there's a little gap there. Um, some of you know this, uh, but during that gap, during that season, uh, my wife went through some miscarriages. So who chose that? I didn't choose that. She didn't choose that. And so ultimately, when there, is, when there is suffering in this life that we don't have an answer to, our propensity is to, to ask the question, why is God allowing this? Because he is all powerful over this. So why is he allowing this to happen? And we have to kind of stop at that point. Because if I try to give you an answer, it's going to be an unbiblical answer, and I'm probably going to try to make you feel better without a lot of biblical truth behind it. And then I'll just end up being a false teacher. You know, so we, we have to stop. And there's mystery. There's mystery to these seasons. There's mystery 
to these times in life. But check this out. Verse 11, and there's a hymn written about this part that I've underlined this morning. Uh, Solomon goes goes like this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Sometimes the beauty is experienced while we are on this earth. And he makes all things beautiful in his timing. Okay, so God used what happened in my life to show me darkness before he can show me his light. He showed me my sin before he showed me his grace. He showed me hell before he showed me heaven. He allowed me to go through that in order to shape and mold me because sometimes we have to go through some trials for us to grow. And so uh, he led me to a, a men's group where I heard about Jesus and I was captivated by the beauty and love of Jesus and I received Jesus by faith and what he has done for me and my life has never been the same since. And so he kind of took over my life and showed his love for me. And I had just a passion for loving him back and doing his will. But he had to take me through the darkness before he showed me the light. In addition, okay, so there is that gap, right, between Layla and there's just this time where uh, we don't know what's going on. But then... He makes, beautiful, he makes all things beautiful in his time, and he gives us Abraham. In his timing, in his season, in 2013, he determines, I'm going to give you this boy at this time. Now, some of you might push back and say, well, what about infertility that just, like, it never resolves itself? And uh, with compassion, I would tell you, I don't, I don't have all the answers uh, to that. However, I will share this story. Uh, how many of you know uh, Jason and Mary Kester? Um, so Jason and Mary Kester are members of our church. Uh, Mary is actually, actually our kindergarten teacher. She also sings in the praise band uh, some, some of the time. And then her husband is also a part of the administration of our school. They were infertile for five years. But just this, just this past week, in his timing, he worked through the adoption process, and they've been given a little precious girl named Emerson. Okay. So praise be to God for that. And what a gift. Like, you just, you just kind of look at her and in the, in the pictures and such, and just all of your cares go away. You see this precious soul right there that's just at peace, and you're like, dang, I wish I could sleep like that. Um, So, but anyhow, he makes all things beautiful in his time, sometimes on earth. And by the way, Emerson, that's that's a popular baby name in our church. I love it. Okay, he makes all things beautiful in his time. And then check this out. He has put eternity into man's heart. There was a survey in 2016 that NBC did, and they just asked thousands of Americans, do you believe in an afterlife? Do you believe in heaven? 
Okay, do you guys want to know how many uh, Americans said yes? 80%. Belief in God is way down, but belief in an afterlife is way up. So I don't know how you reconcile those two. Um, but, but the point is, God has put this into your hearts. This, this thought into your soul that there is an afterlife, that there's something beyond just this. He's put it there. And what I would tell you is that all of us have a hole. We have a hole. We try to fill that hole with all the things that Solomon tried. We fill it with stuff, pleasure, money, possessions, relationships, a person. We fill it with so many things that we then maybe even idolize. But I'll, I'll warn you, if you idolize someone, you will probably end up villainizing them one day because no one is Jesus. We, fill it, we try to fill it with so many things and so much stuff. It can only be filled by your God, your creator. He is the only one that can fill it. And he will make all things beautiful in his time when he comes again to restore everything through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Blaise Pascal, who's a French mathematician in the 1600s, has a famous quote. I want to uh, show this to you. Blaise Pascal says this. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. In addition, there's another famous quote by St. Augustine, the church father in the 5th century who was in a city called Hippo, which is in Africa. He's a famous writer, and he's famous for this quote. You have made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. For believers and non-believers alike, like this quote resonates with our hearts. It resonates with our souls. It resonates with us because God created us for himself and he alone can fill you. He alone can give you the hope that you need. He alone can give you the truth and the love that you are spiritually and cognitively wired to have. Only he can fill that. Here's what I want to tell you. God is, we'll just stay there. God is not a button to be pushed, but he's a relationship to be pursued. Okay. He gives you his son in order to have relationship and to fill your life and I want to just tell you this. If you are a believer in, in Christ, this is as close, your life on this earth is as close as you are going to get to hell. As a believer in Christ, he fills your heart. He gives you hope. But, but what I want to tell you is this. Do not have paradise-like expectations from this earth. 
because it's fallen. Have the perspective that God wants you to have and know this, paradise is coming. Your hope is coming. Jesus is coming. He loves you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he is coming to get you and to take you. And, and, you know, do we not live in a beautiful state here in Colorado? We We live in a gorgeous state. Think about those places that you love with your eyes to dwell on. But picture this. Heaven and the new creation is going to be like what no eye has seen before. It is going to be bigger and greater and more glorious and more beautiful than anything you've ever seen or imagined. God wants relationship. And it comes through his son, Jesus. That's the way he's given. That's how he wants to love you and have that relationship with you. So here is, here is my point. Don't use God, but rather he doesn't want to be used. He wants a relationship. Okay. Some of us see God as the giver of goods and services. When we see God only as a giver of goods and services, you're, you're kind of expecting something from him and so, expecting something from this life that it's not meant to just give you all the time, like you can just push the button. He wants a relationship. What do you guys do with the concert ticket after you get to the concert? What do you do with the ticket? You throw it in the trash. He doesn't want to be the ticket. He wants a relationship with you. If we're looking for him to just be a giver of goods and services, it's kind of like, just like, I'm going to marry the billionaire. A billionaire would be cool to be married to. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, He doesn't want to be used. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to know how much He loves you, that he has given you Jesus to die and rise for you. So the invitation today is to take this biblical depiction of who God is for your entire life so you know who he is and what he has done and his great love for you and surrender. I feel like some of us, we're, we're kind of like, yeah, he is a giver of goods and services. And when he's giving good things, we, we kind of notice it, but we forget to thank him and we just move on. And then when he's not giving good things, we definitely share that with everyone. Like he's just not coming through. But what I would tell you is this. Surrender is saying, I'm, I'm going to have a biblical view of God and stop that. That he is not a button to be pushed but a relationship to be pursued, that he gives Jesus to fill my heart and I will always have Jesus regardless of the seasons or times that I'm going through right now. Okay, so what else does he say? Ecclesiastes 3, verse 12, check this out. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. I I love this kind of, 
this verse in Ecclesiastes because he repeats it over and over again. Have you noticed that? He's like, you know, you're, you're not in control of anything, so just enjoy your life. That's, that's really what he keeps coming back to. You're not in control of anything, so just go to that social gathering, eat and drink and have a good time. That's ultimately what he's saying there. Um, and what he's saying is this. You're not in control. So the more you try to control things that are out of your control, you end up more anxious and it doesn't bless your life. You end up worrying about things that are out of your control. And the more you pursue it, you just end up feeling depleted emotionally and mentally and spiritually in your mind. Um, I have worried about things in my life. Uh, there's been seasons, you know, of worrying. So I've worried about who I was going to marry. God's like, if you just be patient, I'm going to give you Daisy. It just the right time you need her. So just chill out. Okay. But I was worried about that. There was a season where I worried about money. There's a season where I worried about my career. I worried about God's plan for my life. There have been times where I've worried about friendships and people. Friendships are important to me. Um, and I've worried. But I gained nothing in those seasons except wasted time. That's all that happened. I'm, I'm reminded of this movie. How many of you have seen Bridge of Spies? Um, all right, there's a few of you. I do recommend it. It's a good movie. It has Tom Hanks and... Tom Hanks is a lawyer in the movie that is appointed to defend a Russian spy. Okay, so there's this interesting thing that comes up throughout the, the movie more than once where Tom Hanks will have a conversation with the man he's defending, the Russian spy, and he's like, aren't you worried about anything? Like, aren't you worried? Like, what could happen to you? And then the man keeps responding, would it help? Like over and over again, this calm soul, this little small man just keeps going, would it help? And he is kind of like this biblical reminder of what Solomon's talking about. Just we need to let go a little bit more. We need to let go. Why? God is saying, I am all-powerful. I am all-knowing. You see just a limited amount here. I see the whole thing. I need you to trust me. In every relationship, in any good relationship, is there the need for trust? Absolutely. So, like in my relationship with Daisy, I trust her for two reasons. She is faithful, and she's always there for me. And we talk. God is faithful to you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. You can trust him, because he sees the long game. He sees the big picture of everything that he is foreordaining for his glory and your good. And what he is saying is, let go because it's better for you.
It's for your good that you trust me. It's for your good that you loosen your grip. Okay. Now, um, I love this quotation, which talks about how, like, what will happen if we don't understand this. Paul David Tripp, who wrote the book New Morning Mercies, says, In forgetting who you are, forgetting how you were designed to live, forgetting who God is, and forgetting what is to come, you make yourself and those around you crazy. And this, and this I've, I've, done, I've done this to Daisy sometimes because I'll look back at seasons and I want to be analytical. And she'll, she'll be like, we've already analyzed that one. Can we move on? Um, and I forgot that we talked about it already. But see, the point is we need to let go and then know this. What is also in our control is to find our joy in God rather than in all the things that are trying to rob us of that joy. He says, what does he say? Be joyful. You know, he's not saying be joyful in the circumstances and in the seasons. What he is saying is be joyful as a gift from God in your relationship with him. In any relationship, there's growth. Okay, those of you who are married, you're growing right now. You brought in baggage to the relationship. Um, it's two sinful people living under one roof. The problem with marriage is the two of you. That's the problem with marriage. It's both of you. Okay? Now, through that, God is growing you. He's molding you through the trials, through the hard times. And see, so in the season of waiting, in the season of not understanding, as much as you would like the periods to be, or rather, as much as you would like the question marks to be periods in your life, the question marks are needed for you to become like Jesus. He continued to entrust himself to the Father, even in the midst of everything that is going on. And the invitation is to depend upon Jesus for your growth because he's molding and shaping you to be like himself. He's molding and transforming you to be made in his image. And I'm so happy that we get to read this book as New Testament Christians, right? Like if we just had the Old Testament, we'd be like, yeah, um, we can't control anything, so just go to the party. Um, but rather, we can see the gift of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what does he say? I'm going to fill the hole in your life. Trust me, and I'm going to grow you, and I need you to depend upon me. And then check this out. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14. We read this previously, but I want you to see what he concludes with. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so check this out, so that people fear before him. There's mystery. In the Old Testament, fear is I'm in awe of this God who is all-powerful, who's in authority over my life, who's in authority over creation. I'm in awe of this God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, who's a great inspiration to me, he says that this is the point of the whole book, that you accept the authority 
of God in your life and you know his place and you know your place. Isaiah says this, we are like grasshoppers on this earth to the great big God of the heavens. I don't know about you, but that makes me fear. What it means is I'm in awe of his power and his glory and his might. He is big. I am small. However, bridging the Testaments, we can see this meaning of fear in the whole Bible. So you need to have this too. And it comes from Tim Keller. He writes this. Fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed, to be controlled by something. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with the wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It means that because of his bright holiness and magnificent love, you find him fearfully beautiful. When you look at Jesus, what do you see? The one who calmed the storm. The one who raised the dead. The one who made the blind see. The man who made the deaf hear. The one who, even though he is God in the flesh, suffered crucifixion for you and for me so that you can be reconciled to your father and have a relationship. The one who is raised from the dead, triumphing over death, the enemy that will assault each and every one of us at some point. He triumphs over it and he says, I will come again and I will give you the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. I will make everything beautiful in my time. The invitation is this, to be captivated by the beauty of Jesus. That fearing God is to be captivated by the beauty of this God who, although he is awesome in power and glory, he humbles himself to come near to us, just us, in order to love us, to show us himself, and to have a relationship with us. You will never be loved like you will be by God in the person of Jesus Christ. All of you are spiritually and cognitively wired to be loved. There is no other love that you will find like the love of Jesus for you. All of us want it. All of us desire it. But here is what I would say. Only the love of Jesus is unconditional sacrificial and eternal, not up and down like human love. It is yours today. It will be yours forever. It will be yours on the last day in the person of Jesus Christ. All right, so here's what we have said today. God makes everything beautiful in his time. Um, sometimes on earth, but definitely at his second coming. Jesus fills the hole in your heart and in your life uh, with himself. The invitation today is to let go and focus on what you can control, to trust in him. And then also, now we know biblically what Solomon is talking about here, 
fear God. For he is sovereign and he is awesome in power and glory. And he sees the big picture and he is working it all out for his glory and for your good. So here is the discussion question uh, for you as you drive home today, or if you're driving home alone, you can talk to Jesus about this. God's word is always renewing our minds. It says it gives us renewal. What is going to be different for you moving forward? Maybe it's I'm not going to... uh, dwell on things I can't control. But rather, in the waiting, in the waiting, I am becoming. It's not about the circumstances, but it's about who you're becoming in the process. That he is growing you, that he's shaping you, that he's there for you, and he is molding you into the image of his son. Until that day when you see him face to face and you will be known by him as you are fully known. And now may the peace of God, and now may the peace of God, uh, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts, guard your minds through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.